Welcome to the Automotive Leaders Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future by sharing stories, insights, and skills from leading voices in the automotive world with a mission to transform this industry together. I'm your host, Jan Griffiths, that passionate, rebellious farmer's daughter from Wales with over 35 years of experience in our beloved auto industry and a commitment to empowering fellow leaders to be their best authentic selves. Stay true to yourself. Be you and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Automotive Leaders Podcast. And today we are going to deconstruct the episode with Wendy Bauer from Amazon. And for those of you who listen to that episode, you'll know that we got right into the idea of the supplier ecosystem and what's happening in the world of software and electronics around the vehicle. The traditional buyer-supplier relationship is changing. And I wanted to go deeper into that as well as talk about Wendy and her leadership style. And I couldn't think of a better person to get into the weeds a little bit more on the supplier ecosystem than Chris Tebow. Chris is with Infineon, a global semiconductor company who is certainly at the forefront of electronics and what's happening in this part of the industry in automotive. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much and very happy to be here, Jan. Thank you for the invitation. Great. Chris, tell us about your role at Infineon. It's fascinating. It is not a traditional buyer-supplier type relationship. Share with the audience, please, what you're all about at Infineon. Yeah, thank you very much. The role that I fulfill is literally called uh, partner and ecosystem management. And so, as you rightly said, you know, there are still those traditional supplier customer relationships. But at the same time, we've had to define what we mean by partners. And partners are those third party companies that also sell to our customers that we can combine our technologies with to solve a bigger pain point and uh, together win with our customer or our partners. So let me try to understand this then, Chris. So, and I got a little bit of this from Wendy's interview, right? There are so many different players in this world of software and electronics. It's very difficult for an OEM to source every individual little piece on their own because they all have to somehow play together and integrate together. I mean, it's a very simple way of stating it. Did I say that properly? You stated it very clearly. It's all about ease of use. And so the easier that we can as an industry already make the technology easier to adopt for our customers, the better we're all going to play together nicely. But I would think the semiconductor seems... to be such a small part of it, but yet you seem to have such a lead role in this. What's that all about? Well, I think the semiconductor industry is faced with, uh, like you said, the changing landscape of the the relationships between the OEMs and the suppliers. The EMSs are becoming tier ones. Some of the tier ones are thinking of becoming EMSs and so on. And at the same time, the software-defined vehicle is uh, changing the value chain. So I think the semiconductor industry is now finding itself at the forefront of that, uh, 
becoming a tier one itself in a sense by being able to bring the power of our partners technologies together with our own to help define those systems in uh, concert with our customers requirements. Yeah, because the industry certainly learned the hard way, didn't it, about underestimating what semiconductors were all about. They were looking at this small, seemingly low value part. They were looking at the purchase price only of this small part, and it got us into a whole world of trouble. Certainly did. I, I very much look forward to uh, you know playing a part in enhancing the way that we go to market with our partners. I found this role to be an extremely exciting area to focus on, and I kind of leaned into it for my career and joined Infineon to help uh, transform the way that the organization uh, thinks about systems and bringing partners to bear along with their own chips. As a an ex-purchasing person, if I was in purchasing in Infineon, and here comes this guy, Chris Tebow, that says he's responsible for partner ecosystems, I might feel like you're treading on my turf there a little bit, Chris. How does that work? How do you integrate with purchasing? That's a very good question. We have a large sales team who's responsible for our customers and our account teams. I mainly work with our marketing teams to make sure that they have a full definition of what the ecosystem is around their applications and around the product. So it's really that relationship that is key to enhancing the culture within the organization to bring to bear the power of our partner network. And then once that step is done, then we can really move forward and enhance the relationships directly with our customers with the full power of our partner network behind us. Mm, okay. All right. So it's very much, you're very much involved with the marketing side of the business. Yes. And in fact, I am in a, in a marketing role at Infineon. Tell me uh, this word ecosystem. We've talked about it before and it can mean a million different things <laughs> to different people. Define ecosystem, please. This was uh, one of the hardest things to overcome, and it's not only the definition of what an ecosystem is, but it's really also the definition of what a partner is. We try to even use the analogy of the ecology, if you will, because that in itself is uh, what an ecosystem is. So a bee and a flower make honey. It's an interdependent relationship. So in a sense, that is a, a an ecosystem. And so we tried to take that analogy into our business and explain to our organization that it, every application is its own ecosystem. And then every product is its own ecosystem with its own needs that it has to take to market with from a partner perspective. And so it's our application managers and our product managers whose initial role it would be to define what those partner needs are and then identify which partners are going to be the most successful with and when we go to market to our customers. So we had to start with defining what is our ecosystems, which is our applications and our products. And what kinds of companies are you partnering with? I mean, what type of technologies have to come together for this to all work seamlessly in a vehicle? Uh, we categorize them into four different areas. And you certainly say there's room for more, but services, tools, hardware, and software. And so the partners are all of those third-party companies that uh, sell to our customers who are not our competitors. So we try to work with the, 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 the partners that fulfill a certain need under those categories. What are the types of 
technologies that are involved? What kinds of companies do you partner with to provide this ecosystem for the vehicle? So if we just dive into one ecosystem, battery management systems, for example. So there can be any number of different partners that go along with that. And the cloud partners are certainly one of them. We categorize them as a service partner. They're providing a service in in order to take the data from the vehicle and performing a function to that, sending the result back down to the vehicle. So certainly Amazon, AWS is a big part of that. There's other cloud providers, of course. That is an example of uh, a service provider, but we also work with other software vendors. There's uh, software vendors out there that provide other pieces of the application puzzle, for example, that uh, determines the state of health of the battery or the state of charge of the battery. There's, There's companies that really focus on that aspect of the system from a software point of view. And so we partner with them to go to market together to position our chips and their software together to solve a larger need at the customer. Yeah, so it sounds like you're really trying to take the pain point away from the customer, from the OEM of of the responsibility of having to source and manage all of these parts individually. It sounds like on some level, maybe they can't. You have to work together, right? The tier ones have, and that was one of the major functions that they did serve. You know, the customer's tastes are changing or what I'm trying to position within Infineon is that the customers have changed. This is already, you know, past the inflection point. So... The OEMs now are defining the systems and the semiconductor companies and others find themselves in the position of helping them define those systems and bringing to bear the power of our partner networks. And so all of the partners are now virally going in this direction. Mm, that's very interesting. Now, Wendy said in her interview, and this is something that that has stuck with me, she said that the traditional auto, so mostly the OEMs and the world of technology, because Amazon is a tech company. So they, she said they talk past each other and she finds herself in this role of having to bridge that gap. Do you find yourself in that role? From a partner and ecosystem standpoint, I, I do. Yes. Yeah, so this particular concept and discipline is something that's still fairly new, I think, to the automotive industry. And uh, there, it's even starting to become its own industry where there's third-party tooling that will share opportunity data with each other. And so it's really starting to become a budding industry on its own. But at the same time, you know, the position that Wendy finds herself in, I think the same conversation goes on between the semiconductor companies and the cloud providers because they're very much separated by the technology, the system makers are in the middle. So they're taking the semiconductors and connecting to the cloud. Whereas how do you make these demonstrators work with semiconductors and cloud providers? We need other third parties also to help make that happen. And so we we also partner with system makers and uh, other third parties that uh, help us bridge the gap. The type of relationship that you have with the OEM one of the things that we talked about with Wendy was the fact that the the style has changed quite a bit come, or, and needs to change coming out of the OEMs. And I'll also refer back to the interview that I just did recently with Jeremy McCool, the CEO of Hevo, the EV wireless charging company. And he said that really the OEMs have to change to a more, and I'll use his, his term, a more coaching 
nurturing and it's more of a consultative selling kind of approach, which is vastly different to the more aggressive command and control kind of tactics that we see coming out of the OEMs in the past. And I know that you have done a lot of research behind supplier relationships and what you need to to make this supplier ecosystem and partner ecosystem work. Tell me a little bit about some of the work, that the research that you did. I know that you read Kate Vitasek's book, Getting to We. Share with the audience, if you will, um, a little bit about what you learned from that book and how you see the supplier relationships between OEMs and the supply base changing. That was uh, one of the most fascinating books that I've read recently. And, uh, you know, Someone very wise uh, tipped me off to this author and, and book, so thank you very much, Jan. <laughs> uh, the premise of this book is developing highly collaborative relationships. And so as I was reading it, I was uh, just very much soaking it up because it uh, plays right into partners and ecosystems. The analogy that uh, Kate uses in her book uh, right off the bat is uh, quite interesting. It's called The Prisoner's Dilemma. The prisoner's dilemma is basically two criminals committed a crime. They were caught and they're in the police station and now they're separated. And so the police are interrogating them and they're basically enticing one to tell on the other. And so the scenario is you have a, you know, a four by four matrix, you know, where they either both defect and tell on each other. One does it or the other does it or none of them do it, right? And the consequences are such that if uh, one tells on the other, then the other goes away for a very long time. And, you know, the one that defected probably gets a very light sentence, you know, vice versa in the other direction. But if they tell on each other, well, they both go away for a long time. And then if they just stay silent and collaborate, well, they're off right? Or they both get very light sentences. So this is the prisoner's dilemma. The analogy to business is that if you go into business together with your partners or with your customers, supplier-customer relationships, you know, fall right into play here as well. If you decide to collaborate right up front, the pie grows bigger for both parties and for all parties. So the economic impact based on trust and collaboration is, is much higher than trying to go it alone. Yeah. I uh, I love Kate's work because I think she's at the forefront of designing the contract that then needs to define the relationship. It is something to really think about. I think that in the automotive industry today, we just we keep we going along thinking that the way that we've always done things is going to be just fine, even in this new world and transformation from ice to bev. But it is not. The product is transforming. Here's a classic example of how the product is transforming in a way where we now need partner ecosystems. Therefore, the relationships and the leadership model and the culture needs to change along with that. And that's the bit that I think we're missing. And that's why I love having you on the show, because you represent an example of that relationship changing. Yes, Kate describes what you just said also in great detail. The product is the relationship. And in fact, if you define the relationship up front, you agree to collaborate under every condition and you don't defect and stick up for your own interests, then again, the pie grows for both partners. The relationship is defined by principles. It starts with trust, and then it even breaks that down into different aspects. And it's a very interesting read. 
Do you think that that will influence the way that you do business with your partners? I have actually asked some of my partners to read the book. Wow, that's an endorsement. (laughs) And they've agreed to do it. But I think that the fact that you even had the conversation about how you're going to do business together puts you light years ahead of many companies. Because so often we don't have that conversation. How are we going to do business together? What happens when something goes wrong? Instead of going to the boilerplate and whipping out the contract and going, I'm going to beat you with this until I, you know, I pull every last drop of blood and life out of you, right? Instead of doing that, it's having the conversation up front, setting the groundwork, setting the guidelines for the relationship and saying, this is how we're going to operate. This is what happens when there's a problem, because there will be problems. There will be pricing issues. There will be commodity increases. There will be labor problems and there will be quality issues and there will be end customer issues that you both have to deal with. It's not going to be a magical relationship and it's all sweetness and light. That doesn't work that way. But what can change is how you approach these problems. And if you come at it with more of a coaching, nurturing, let's get through this together instead of I'm going to beat you, then that's a very different approach. Uh, The traditional approach to negotiations uh, starts with terms and conditions, and it's all about protectionism. It's what's in it for me. And the book also talks about that, and it transitions that to what's in it for we. I like that. Well, I think we've started something here, Chris. I think this is the the first of several podcasts that we'll have focusing on exactly how the buyer-supplier relationship is changing and people who can contribute to that conversation. Chris, from the interview with Wendy, let's talk about her specifically, her individual leadership style. What resonated with you from that interview about her style? Well, I mean, linking this book to uh, what Wendy uh, provided in terms of her leadership style, she started off with describing trust as the number one principle. And that is, of course, the number one principle for establishing any relationship is trust. So from a leadership perspective, I have to agree with that. I also think it's uh, about authenticity and accuracy as a leader, just to dive a little bit deeper from a leadership perspective, it's uh, also about confidence. I think if you want to lead, confidence is really one of the, the most important things for your followers to buy into if you want to le- be a leader. There's a bit of a fine line there between confidence, being confident, I agree, a very important leadership quality, but also this ability to show vulnerability. Yes, I believe empathy is uh, is the, the the second principle that I would have added to uh, Wendy's uh, leadership style. So it starts with trust, then some of the sub aspects of that: authenticity, accuracy, and get, you know you need the confidence to to lead into that. But also adding uh, to her listening is is empathy. So listening is obviously very very important. It's uh, critical and essential. But it's the feeling also behind that you uh, are able to connect with the people you're trying to lead as well. I would agree. Wendy talks a lot about innovation. We know Amazon to be an extremely innovative company. And so is Infineon. And there's a lot going on at Infineon to make sure that the culture is right and the environment is set so that innovation can flourish. 
Tell us a little bit about what you thought from the interview with Wendy about her comments on innovation, but perhaps more importantly, how you see the culture of innovation from your own perspective and your own experience. Infineon has a very strong culture. One year into Infineon, I'm still very enthused to be here. Uh, and it starts with our leadership. Our CEO has two two models, if you will, decarbonization and digitalization. So that very much connects with Wendy in terms of her service, which is providing data and cloud providers to the automotive industry. Another model of Infineon's that I find very interesting, I really enjoy it, is that Infineon is positioning itself to be the link between the real and the digital world. As a semiconductor company, we have the technology to sense the outside world, convert that into a digital signal, voltage and current, and then send that data up to the cloud. And so being the link between the real and digital world, basically we're digitizing the entire external world. That's fascinating. Now, what sort of culture, you've worked for some more traditional companies as well, Chris, but what's so unique about the culture at Infineon that allows this type of innovative thinking to flourish? Another book that I read that I really enjoyed, also uh, research-based, was called uh, Good to Great. I think it starts with leadership. The research, you know, took into account many different successful leaders, uh, but took the most successful leaders and tried to ascertain, well, what was so common about these 15 companies that they ended up uh, evaluating? And it gets back to confidence, but one of them was passion. You know, the passion that the leaders bring to their companies and then also being humble. You know, it's about, you know, humble, passionate leadership. Yeah. And what about the safety, the trust and the safety? You have to have an environment where you feel safe to come forward with new ideas. Otherwise, you'll just bottle them up. How does that work culturally at Infineon? I believe that conflict management is essential for any company. So being feeling safe to raise your voice in a meeting is an extremely important aspect of innovation. And if you're in a cutthroat type of culture, you're not going to collect all of the data in, in, in order for a leader to make decisions. So conflict management is something that's very important. And I think Infineon has a very strong culture that allows other opinions to be heard, even if it's contrary to what's going on in the, in the room. Yeah, that's uh, that's very encouraging to hear because I believe that the more traditional automotive companies have to adopt that type of culture in order to get the innovation and to operate at speed. And we know that Amazon knows all about speed. The part of me says that it's a little easier for Infineon to do this because they're a technology company with a division in automotive. They're not an automotive company trying to embrace technology. I think somehow that their their roots and their, their background sets them up to be in a better position to embrace a newer way of thinking and a transforming culture. Do you, do you think there's any truth to that? Okay, so Infineon is um, about half of our business is in automotive. So it's the largest semiconductor company in automotive, very much steeped in traditional automotive mentalities and methodologies, but we also supply to the consumer industry and the tech industry. And so 
there is a, a feeling of adoption from new ideas and technological advances and, uh, and innovation. So the leaders do listen and they do drive from the top down and listen from the bottom up. That's a great culture to be in. It, it really is. Chris, what's your advice for companies out there who are embarking upon this idea of developing a partner ecosystem? Give me some things. What what should they really start to think about? How I've thought about it, and uh, I think how a corporation should be thinking about this, is from a system point of view. So each company is going to provide a piece of the puzzle. And so from a system aspect and what your customers need, what is it that you do not have? And so this is, by definition, a need, and then you can translate that into a partner need, and then that will help you to go identify then, well, which type of companies or which partners can fulfill that need. Uh, So it starts with really thinking about the system and the pain point that you're trying to solve, and then expanding that out to what your end customer's ultimate goals are. Mm. And give me one lesson learned something that you learned the hard way that they should definitely not do. The transformation that we're going about at Infineon is to, rather than just going out and establishing a whole bunch of relationships, the first thing we're trying to do is establish uh, a process and a framework and a methodology to measure our performance and so on and clearly articulate what we want from our partners before we go out and, and actually ask for partnerships. So don't go out there without doing, don't go out there and talk, talking to partners until you get all the processes in line, right? Well, thank you, Chris. It is clear that supplier partnership ecosystems are definitely in our future. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and insights with us today. Yeah, I really appreciate the, the invitation, Jan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Automotive Leaders Podcast. Click the listen link in the show notes to subscribe for free on your platform of choice. And don't forget to download the 21 Traits of Authentic Leadership PDF by clicking on the link below. And remember, stay true to yourself, be you, and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. Leadership.